Hello and welcome to The Scan. We're excited to bring you this episode from the George Institute for Global Health. Hello, this is a new mini-series called Worlds Collide, featuring two well-known global health researchers from different parts of the globe, Jaime Miranda from Peru and Shea Abimbola from Nigeria. Each wears a variety of hats, holding a number of positions in different countries. Jaime Miranda is a health systems researcher from Peru. He holds appointments at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, Lone Scholar at Harvard T.H. Chan, School of Public Health, Boston, USA, and is the Visiting Professorial Fellow at the George Institute for Global Health, Australia. Shea Abimbola is the Health Systems Researcher from Nigeria. Amongst other roles, he is the Prince Claus Chair in the Equity and Development at Utrecht University, the Netherlands, a Senior Lecturer at the School of Public Health, University of Sydney in Australia, and is the Editor-in-Chief of BMJ Global Health. The miniseries features unstructured conversations between Shea and Jaime as they reflect on daily interactions. The conversations offer illuminating insight on navigating work and cultural perspectives. In the first episode, the two health researchers reflect on growing up in non-Western cultures and how it affects the way they think about global health and academics. going to share with you one of my dreams uh it was uh okay i'm going to become a professional i said so as to everything was exemplified in the image in the picture of having a hammock mm-hmm. now i have three okay but i don't think i have fulfilled them so, <laughs> so what is it no no so like i wanted some shade and uh, to be able to rest and have a siesta every night but can't mm-hmm. there is no time mm-hmm. now having this space of tranquility so I think I've been evolving on my on my dreams of what is it to make a good life. And to me it's that picture of a hammock. But now I'm realizing that okay, it wasn't the object. It was it was the surroundings around it. Have you read um Love in the yes. Time of Cholera, Marquez? So one of the one of the earlier scenes in the book where um Dr. Juvenal Obino, um, when he I think fell. He was trying to sort of climb a ladder to to hit a, a bird, and he fell. There was this um, that mm-hmm. for some reason that scene has colored my imagination about Latin American life, about Latin American sort of um, ha- household kind of uh-huh. backyard kind of life. So when you mentioned hammock, I was I placed my imagination of that scene, and I placed the hammock there. And I placed you in the hammock in that scene in my head. Well, now perhaps advancing my thoughts, perhaps it's been this dream of of having access to space. Growing in Latin America, it's that sensation of maybe you have your plot of land and you sit there and you rest. Yeah, you know. Bear in mind that grow yeah. urban growth in Latin America is very unplanned. So a lot of people, I mean, you've seen this in Africa too, but it's. The, 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 the spirit of cities is invasions. So we grow, 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 grow. It's like, uh, like cancers. Have you read 100 Years of Solitude? Okay. So have you yes, seen how the, the well. story transitions without a linear timeline? So characters go back and go forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So yeah. that is a ad- fantastic novel, it's very adventurous, yeah. but that's also our Achilles yeah. heel, Achilles heel in writing academically. We write like that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the stories in circles, right? The stories goes in circles. So yeah. if you have a Latin American scientist yeah. who will tell you, you have 10 minutes to present, yeah. oh my God, it will be 10 minutes mm-hmm. just to go the circle there. Um, and it's interesting yeah. because <laughs> then in meetings you find these cultural, cultural dissonances, right? Mm-hmm. So for those who haven't read A Hundred Years of Solitude, I have to explain, look, it is very hard yeah. to speak in English. Yeah. It's very hard to write in English. And obviously yeah. it's going to be very hard to elaborate and communicate. Yeah. In linear narrative. Difficult. Yeah. Difficult. See, see what I two, two things come to mind um, mm-hmm. that I've experienced personally, which is very tied to my culture as a Yoruba person. So, so in 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 Yoruba modes of expression, we mount mm-hmm. metaphors on top of each other. We don't do this thing that people in English and perhaps in Europe do, where you don't mix your meta- metaphors. In, in, in Yoruba, you mix your metaphors. You're expected to mix your metaphors. <laughs> so, so, so for me, so when, when I'm writing or, or speaking in English, I'm mixing metaphors all the time. And I have to sort of remind myself that well, you're talking in English. You can't do that. And it's such a difficult thing to do. Um, the, 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 other, the other way in which my, I suppose my, my Yoruba background affects my writing is that it's um you know there's this almost similar to what you're saying that there's this love of absolute sort of transparent mm. clarity in in english that like you everything you say has to be very clear mm. has to be very clean in my language you speak in codes you know you, you don't you don't give you don't give off you don't yeah. give yourself completely you, you leave some spaces for interpretation. You leave spaces, and you use language in a way that, yeah. that allows you to do that, which also means that your language is a bit mm-hmm. more colorful, mm-hmm. a bit more adorned, um, which is doesn't oh. work well in English at all. So, so those are things I have to discipline, my, discipline myself. You, you, in, when I'm writing an academic paper, I have to very consciously keep my language basic, keep metaphors mm-hmm. out of it. It comes back. So to me, it comes a lot when I review things and review things for producing mm. science and I am mm. constantly using analogies and metaphors because I cannot explain mm. some, something that came to my mind when you were saying that your reaction about if how vivid and colorful and florid are, are the languages it's uh yeah it's there and that's something maybe that scares people I, I think I we, we discussed this uh about this new journal of global public health. And I told them, yeah. why? I mean, there's so many journals now. There's so many publications. Why? Because we want some views from Latin America. Well, if you want to bring more views from Latin America, you have to bring color into it. So how can <laughs> we allow the scientific yeah. method of communication be much more versatile? So people, as you say, people will speak in metaphors. Yeah. People will speak with analogies, or people yeah. will go in circles, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. But that's the, the written scientific direct English helps, 
and it helps a lot in terms of the reproducibility of science, but perhaps not in reaching out many audiences. So, yeah, can yeah. we imagine of a world where yeah. scientific communication goes in videos? I don't know, in circles. <laughs> I, I don't know what what that innovation looks like just yet, but I know that there's something static about scientific communication in the last sort of 300, 400 years. We've, we've been doing exactly the same thing. And I don't think there's any other field that has been doing exactly the same thing. In that spirit, I've been doing, I've been conceiving a, a review, a review paper that I'm setting up with one of my postdoc fellows. And what, what we are trying to do is capture what the conversation has been in the last five to 10 years about the nature of knowledge production, use, and circulation in public mm -hmm. health or global health. What, what the problems are, what needs to change, etc. I, I then had this thought that one, one way of bringing things down, which was, has a strategic advantage, is to select mm -hmm. journals um, purposively right, and look through their archives over the last five to ten years, sort of. Um, global health journal, sort of Lancet Global Health, BNP mm. Global Health, perhaps one or two more, but then leave that global space and, and go into sort of national slash continental mm -hmm. slash regional spaces. Right. Sort of pick, pick a journal in Latin America, pick a journal in North America, pick a journal in Europe, pick a journal in Australia, New Zealand, pick a journal in Africa, pick a journal in Asia, and just look deep into mm -hmm. what the conversation has been. Just one representative, hopefully representative, representative journal. And just sort of map five to ten years of conversation in that journal about the nature of knowledge production and use and circulation in the field, um, instead of doing the classical mm -hmm, mm -hmm. systematic review. Coming back to, to reflections, we talk in a vivid way and a florid way, but in, on the science, we also talk in a very respectful way. Mm -hmm. I saw this on Twitter, how you portray yourself. What's your starting point in terms of communicating science, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. The Indian handicap, the, the, the language in Latin America, except Argentina, <laughs> is mm -hmm. very respectful. It's very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Even Colombia is much mm -hmm. more like that than. And it's because of this relationship with the Spanish. 500 years of colonization. Mm -hmm. So we all learn Spanish and we use it but it has this extremely respectful connotation. I find that in our science, when we write mm -hmm. science, science is like, oh, you know, may have a space. Can I, would you mind? We consider this important. And when we see someone from the Northern Hemisphere, it's just, this is important. You want it. My only um, uh, similar um, experience, um, one of my, earliest international conferences that I attended um, about 15 years ago, um, I hung out with a bunch of other Africans who very quickly made it known to me that Nigerians have a reputation of being loud <laughs> and opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and strangely, strangely, um, I had been loud the other Africans call oh, us really? the Americans of Africa. Yeah, because because we are so loud <laughs> and so in your face. But but even when you look at sort of people who are 
academics from the north. They, they are just as loud and opinionated. That's interesting yeah. because science yeah, in Peru, is. at least, is not opinionated. And therefore, it, it, mm. this, it maintains these prevailing views of figures. So this hierarchy, of, uh, he's the voice of, the, mm. of those who know more which have led us to terrible mistakes. So those big voices said that ivermectin were good for COVID. How is this person is saying you're going against the person, but then the evidence, no, it's the person, it's the, mm. it's the, it's, it's the country, mm. the mediator of the truth is being attacked. Mm. And a personal attack mm. Is, mm. is not well taken. From the beginning. So I, I, there was never a time I could not speak English. I, I could speak, I learned both languages really? at the same time. Home? Yeah. Home, yes. Um, home. Which is, will be the same for um, most middle mm. class Nigerian families. With both parents speak English. My, my parents speak both languages. In fact, in, within a sentence, they right, move yeah. between the languages. And that's how I, I grew up sort of speaking in, in both languages within oh. the same sentence. So it takes me extra, just slightly extra effort to discipline myself to speak oh. only English. Um, because it just, it, it, it gets in, it gets in the way. <laughs> I learned English yeah. like, have you seen the, when the symptoms came in and they started like, my name is Bart Simpson. I learned like that. My name is Jaime. My yeah. name is Jaime. My name is Jaime. Mm. So that was the English level of my school. And then I started mm. formally classes after my 20s when mm. <laughs> when uh when we started in a medical school and there was some mm. information that came in english and we couldn't read and i uh, say well i want just to learn english to be able to read and mm. it was a few of the photocopies before the internet right so it was we used to take copies of yeah, either the article or pieces of book. So after the class, you will run to the photocopy kiosk. And I've been like yeah. two years going in the evenings, uh, 40 minute classes, reading, learning. And I said, look, you know what? Enough. Um, I'll just learn English until I'm able to communicate. So obviously, the place for communication in, in English in Peru is Cusco. Everybody goes to Machu Picchu. Yeah. And uh, okay, yeah, I was there, yeah, one yeah. of those uh, yeah. adventures, when they went to visit Machu Picchu, and you get the impression that you, yeah. you can't communicate. Actually, everybody's very condescending, so, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, you're drunk, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obviously, you can communicate. <laughs> then I left, I dropped out English, so yeah. I didn't finish it. I had this, this perception that I was able to communicate. I've been in Cusco, and I've been able to interact with, yeah. with the foreigners, so... <laughs> And then I traveled to the UK and I got a phone call. I couldn't understand a word, a single word. And all I could say was, can you please um, give me your phone number? I could understand the numbers. So I wrote down the numbers yeah. and I gave it to my friend and said, please yeah. call and find out what they asked me because I had no clue, <laughs> no clue whatsoever. <laughs> And somewhat I felt like this conversation of science, like sometimes I feel I have to come and present my, my science and uh, what you call the foreign gaze, right? Into how we put our science for the wider community. 
And I feel like like coming to a market <laughs> or a buffet and you come with your product and it may be as equal or as good as a product for from another group or from a uh but yet it also relates to the, how we communicate it's very respectful you know very anyhow i feel like i have to overcome three or four more steps than other scientists and <laughs> when you produce can be yeah. much better than the others i was going to say that that that, that, that is one of the um motivations behind this review that I mentioned, that, that I want to go and look at the conversations people are having within their own sort of local spaces, and the spaces that are not quite as global as mm. Lancet or BMJ. Um, because my theory, and, and I may be proven wrong, but my theory is that the conversations are more reflecting of what is really mm -hmm. going on locally. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, you have not been put in a place where you have to compete with everyone else on the global stage where you have to then pitch your sound, pitch your message in a way that appeals to a certain vaguely defined global audience. Uh, and, and I believe very strongly that a lot is lost in, in that process. A lot of what is real and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and authentic can get lost in, in, in our effort to sound either Western or sound global or appeal to a particular kind of audience. Let me put a cultural connotation to that, that the famous elevator pitch. Mm. I hate it. It's not in my culture. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. respect and yeah. recognition yeah. is given to you. You don't show mm. it, which is ironic. In this world, you have yeah. to constantly yeah. be like a seller. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I feel like a visitador medico. Like, I don't know what to... These pharmacist jobs where they pay people to go and offer you drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Market. He's my scientist. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, so we don't know how to do it. And therefore, some yeah. people felt or feel or naturally end up regulated as a second class science. There, there's this prize that the University of Sydney gives um, every year. They, they make academics apply for it. Um, so I decided to apply for it this year. And I wrote my, it's a two-page, you have to write a two-page thing about what you want to do with the prize and what you've been doing that you want to continue using the prize. And I wrote this two-pager and I sent it to my boss, my immediate supervisor. And she just changed the language to, I led, I, so, you know, you know the, where, where I would say I'm involved in discussions, um, you know, it, she switches it and says, I, I led. I convey the cause. So she just changes the language that then makes me sound really, really you know, great. And selfish. But 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 the the the, the, um, the essence of what of what I'm doing that mm -hmm. I know in my head hasn't changed. But, mm -hmm. but the way that it's come out, it makes me look very different to to to, to who I am. You know, it's this is not yeah. me. I would not write this. I, I, but, but she also said to me that if you don't write it this way, you won't get this prize because everybody else is writing theirs this way. When they read yours, they're going to think, uh, he's not confident. It makes me think, and uh, the further I advance and progress, the harder it became to me to write fellowships, I mean, type of grant. I couldn't, mm. I feel it was a disservice to the work of lots of people, particularly my team. And I failed. Yeah. I, I wrote that I couldn't sell myself good enough. And even if I moved to the interview, I couldn't mm. afford it. I, 
I felt this pressure of, and uh, anyhow, I, I managed to survive, but, but it, what, it, what it could have been the natural way of funding career for me hasn't worked out. Maybe I way too shy or decided not to, and I suffer a lot, suffer a lot writing. I prefer to stay away. No, 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 please don't. I don't want to write fellowships. And, um, and it's precisely because yeah. that. It has to be everything to the I mode, I, I, I. And uh, yeah. yeah, I found it. I should be more selfish, yes. no? No, why? It's it's a soul. You know, I I describe I describe it to a friend as as a, as a soul destroying process. I I say to this friend that when I finish it, I have to go and <laughs> repair my soul. Wow, you feel like that? <laughs> but since something has gone away from me, so I've done something that I should not. That I, I've grown up knowing that I should not do. This is not how to be a person. Because in a way, yeah. I mean progression and what is. I mean, academic kudos is all based on this individualism, right? On one side, I'm saying that my job is to democratize. I, I call it popularize. I want to popularize science too, so that people, younger generations yeah. can make it, can see this as a viable option, as a way to pursue it. And yes, there are many obstacles and still we have to thrive and continue. Then the prices comes to the individual. If you, 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 and I, I feel bad. It hurts. I think it was Max Max Weber, a, a German academic sociologist, who who gave a series of lectures about academia um, in in the early twentieth century. I think so when when academia was was still young and was forming. So this idea of even having a PhD was still a very new invention, which was a German invention. So this idea of academic life, and he he said something about how one of the major challenges of a good academic is how to deal with academics whom you think are not quite as good, but are far more successful than you. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in the 1930s. I mean, this is a long time ago. We was writing about this. That, that, that's one of the things you have to learn to deal with that. That, that, that you'd find people you know whose work may not measure up, but, but they are good at selling themselves, they are good at presenting themselves, they are good at you know standing up and claiming space. And you have to learn to deal with that. On one front, you have a pushing factor, which is good that universities have to produce um, knowledge advancement, that's why they are universities, Yet, given the social economical upheavals in Latin America, education was a how do you call it? something you could buy. Yeah, you, you could, I mean, there are a lot of universities that turn into offering degrees, offering degrees. So the research aspect got isolated. So it became this law that your faculty have to have a training, postgraduate training, and B have to be active in publications. So then the pervasion came in. Universities started hiring people and paying for publications. Oh my God. And then the what publications yeah. and the quality of publication. So yeah. separate this other movement to make more visible design gets embedded into these pervert, perverted um, environments. Yeah. And yeah, part of me, yeah, well, 
something is better than, than nothing. The other part is like, well, is this the way that we want to progress? Thank you for listening to this episode of The Scan. The next episode will be about navigating the global headspace as a colored person. Make sure you subscribe to The Scan so you don't miss an episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't wait to bring you all the latest news and research in global health.